it's beyond for me, and I think for most bluegrass fans, it's beyond just being a fan. Like, I think they change your life and start to view the world in a better way for me, in like a healthier way through bluegrass music. For me, it's not just, oh, I get to hang with my heroes. It is like a very transformative thing to like, I've sat and cried listening to Jerry Douglas. Greetings, folks. Welcome in. It is your favorite time of every two weeks, which means it's me, Keith Billick, and the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I really appreciate you joining me. I have a great episode for you today. But I don't want to go too far without first recognizing the lovely apples of my eye, the Patreon supporters of the show. And today's extra special supporter is Jane Loot. Jane is actually a Hall of Honor supporter, which is the highest civilian honor that can be bestowed on Picky Fingers listeners. Apparently the Oscars were last night, so this is my own personal uh, red carpet here today for for listener Jane Lute, and this is an honor that not even Will Smith can ruin. Too soon? Anyway, thanks Jane for your support, and thank you to all my supporters who go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast learn how to get your shout out on the show along with all sorts of other cool rewards uh one more time patreon.com slash banjo podcast other than that please keep in touch if you are on twitter look me up at banjo podcast on instagram it's at picky underscore fingers and on facebook join the picky fingers listeners fans and friends group to uh, keep updated on all sorts of banjo-related conversations. And of course, you can use the uh, the old-fashioned way, the email. Uh, I'm at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Other than that, I'm going to have a few more uh, personal projects to share with you pretty soon. They are not quite ready for public consumption, but I've been creating a bit of music. I actually have a new podcasting venture that is very slightly banjo related that I'll tell you about Uh, so just keep your ears open for that perhaps as soon as the next episode I'll have some things to share for you Today's featured guest is Eric Lindbergh of the band Nefesh Mountain. Eric is an extremely talented banjo player, guitar player, singer, songwriter, arranger, and it all just gets into that Nefesh Mountain mix. They're a really great band and have sort of a unique slant on this whole bluegrass thing. They have brought their experiences as Jewish Americans as part of their songwriting and presentation of their live shows and they just have a a a really great fresh sound which has rightfully got them a lot of high praise from music critics and fans so i have a feeling you're going to love hearing all about it from uh my guest so here he is eric lindberg of nefesh mountain (laughs) 
name is Eric Lindbergh. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And um, I am in a band called Nefesh Mountain with my wife, Donnie, my beloved wifey. And we are here on the road in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, we have our little baby daughter, Willow, also with us, who's who's five and a half. She'll be actually six months in in a couple of days. And as far as my banjo story, I'm actually, I started as a guitar player. I was a jazz guitar player by trade in college. And um, I was the kind of guy that secretly would, like I'd do all the jazz homework and I would learn all my West Montgomery solos and transcribe the Charlie Parker stuff. But I would also secretly practice Tony Rice and listen to tons of flectones. And yeah. I was like a closet bluegrass freak at the time, even though I was in jazz school. But at the time, there was no bluegrass school. So I, um, you couldn't go to Berkeley and study What string school music. was this that you this were was, doing jazz? I had followed my mentor from high school, whose name was Vic Juris, who just passed, a great, unbelievable guitar player. And I followed him to Mason Gross School of the Arts at Rutgers, of all places. Okay. And it's a great jazz school, amazing faculty. I had a great experience. There was a small program, so I got a lot of attention. But I did, I had this other love of bluegrass and everything. Now, you mentioned that you were a closet player. Was this, was this something that you needed to be, quote unquote, closeted about? Like, would you have brought shame upon yourself had, <laughs> had people known that you were listening to Tony Rice? And... Not really. But nowadays, it's, I feel like it's changed so much. You can really study bluegrass. Every, you know, you kind of accept it as this super high form of, of art. Yeah. Um, not only is it so demanding almost like a like a an olympic athlete you know level of right. of technique and ability but also with everything that since like from Bela and Thiele and Punch Brothers on you know it's just mm -hmm. become this very cerebral form as well so yeah. but at the time you know jazz snobbery was was big and everyone <laughs> was talking about no one no one was talking about Thiele or whatever then it was right. more you know Wayne Shorter and Coltrane or yeah. Michael Brecker or Chris Potter. I was just in a different world. Uh -huh. So no, I didn't need to be closeted about it, but it was, it was my, um, I just, there was something, I loved it. And then I didn't love it the same, I didn't love jazz the same way, actually. I, I loved the soul of, of Americana music, of bluegrass and all that. How did you even come upon that? You, you just said you were in this other world. So that makes it, there must've been a crack there uh, was a in crack. there somewhere that Tony Rice snuck through. It, it was it was actually the flectones that snuck. Okay, that snuck in because it was really like my two big people in my orbit were were Pat Metheny at the time and mm -hmm. and Bela, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of flectones. And then through immediately, kind of, I was into the flectones, but then I bought right around that year is when his um it's twenty years ago now, right? The uh, Bluegrass Sessions Bluegrass album. Sessions. So from there, I'm like. There's my Tony Rice, and okay. it didn't quite happen in this order, but then very quickly, Sam Bush, Jerry Douglas, you know, Stuart Duncan, that crew. Yeah. Once became, you start pulling on that thread, all yeah. these people start. Yeah. And I'd been aware of, like, I'd listened to Flat and Scruggs and Bill Monroe and all that. So I was still, I knew about all that world. But mm -hmm. from that record, that Bluegrass Sessions um, Acoustic Planet Volume 2, that was the big. All the stuff that I was doing in jazz school could still be applied. And it was uh, with melodies and harmony that I actually thought was way more interesting. Yeah. Yeah, just, just, I thought it was just more beautiful. I didn't need sharp nine chords in every song, you know, or, or for everything to be like a, a jazz theory 
experiment. It was just like, this is beautiful, amazing music, and they're still improvising over it. So right. this is what I want to play. That that was one of the main albums that caught me, so I can I can totally relate. Yeah. Now maybe I missed you you saying this, but uh, so you were there for guitar, and when you were listening to all this uh, bluegrass stuff. Were you already playing some banjo, or was this still guitar? No, so I'm, I know I'm, a, I'm on a banjo podcast, but um, I didn't <laughs> play banjo yet. But I'd always wanted to, uh-huh. and I was it was only guitar. And after college, I was doing a lot of jam band stuff and playing all different kinds of things, and I was guitar forever. I think what I'm leading to is that the banjo and what the music that we make in our band now, I had to find myself, I think, over the years and really listen to my heart. And I think in college, I knew you like this music, you should be playing this music. But I thought otherwise, like I'm in school for jazz, I should be playing jazz, I should do this. You've already put so much work into this. Yeah, work and money and student loans or whatever. Um, But this, what we do now with our band, with Nefesh Mountain and the banjo, it's all me um, basically following what I know is true to me. Like the music I really genuinely love and that is Bluegrass Americana. So the story goes back in um, 20... 13, I think it was. Um, my wife and I were playing in a different band before our band now. We were playing in San Francisco. And I was playing a lot of bluegrass still at the time, but we happened to see Bela, of course, mm-hmm. as it, my roads seemed to lead, lead back to him, uh, play a solo show at San Francisco Jazz. And the next day I was like, nah, that's it. I'm buying a banjo. And I went out to a place called the Fifth String in Berkeley yeah. and bought an open back gold tone. I forget what model. And I started learning from there. And I just, and this was, I've been playing for about eight years banjo. Okay. But, you know, I've been playing guitar forever. And I think that it it really, my approach to banjo is, first of all, very guitaristic for as far as my left hand goes in terms of the fretting and the theory mm-hmm. and whatever I've known from just being a musician in different walks of life. Um, and I really put in the homework to, to get the Scruggs thing going with my right hand to get... Um, you know, really try to learn banjo, real banjo. And mm-hmm. that's been my great love of trying to learn this thing for the last eight or so years or however long it's been. Is trying to make yourself more traditional, you think? Is that is that what you mean? I'm just not going to be that guy, the, you know, the traditional right. guy, but I really enjoy pulling it out when it needs to. And I enjoy composing, I think, more than anything on the banjo and finding hmm. there's just, you just can't do things on the guitar like you can do on the banjo. And it just doesn't have the same range or the, it just is a, to me, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. Even sure though is. three of the strings are the same. Right. You know, you, and the one's just d- down a whole step. Uh, it's totally different. And then you just can do all these things. And I think also just everyone from Scruggs to Bill Keith to Trishka and Bela, all the things that they do that, even if you played like sixths on the guitar or something like... Like that, that is just screams those guys and a certain banjo right. style. And that just only sounds like that on the banjo to get that thing. And whenever I get to play things like that, I just, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm like thrilled to hear those notes coming out of the thing. So when you very first started, did you go right for that Bela ish jazzy sound right away? No, I actually, I did take some lessons with Tony Trishka, who okay. lives, we live in North Jersey and Trishka doesn't live all that far from us. Uh-huh. And Tony is one of my great heroes, of course. Yeah. I know he's one of yours too. Yeah, yeah. And I had some lessons with with Tony. And then I also watched a ton of his Artist Works videos 
on the artist work site. And in between kind of touring and playing, there was always something I needed to learn from because he's such he's so rooted in Scruggs style. Yeah. Even though he's he's like out in outer space. The trailblazer. Well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's just the best ever. So yeah. and I to me, I got whatever Scruggs stuff from transcribing Earl and and from Tony's online stuff and from mm-hmm. studying with him. I imagine you did a lot of transcribing in jazz school. I did. Okay. Yeah. What did you think of trying to transcribe banjo when you started doing that? Was that a different world having this fifth string happen and and yeah. all that, or how how do you feel like you adapted to to this type of learning? That's a really great qu- question because yeah, the banjo is not linear in the sense of any right. other jazz instrument, even jazz guitar, where you you know you're taught you know don't even play open strings. Mm-hmm. So for the banjo, where everything everything to me that sounds like the style I want it to is coming out of the melodic thing, where it's obviously. On paper, it's linear, but you just don't figure it out that way. And there's yeah. all these different ways to play every kind of melody. Mm-hmm. So it was difficult. It was really difficult to be like, where is that happening? And it was a, it was, I would say, a good three years of grueling, you know, kicking my own blank. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it, it still can be difficult. It's really difficult. Um. <laughs> it is, and I, I'm kind of. I hate myself sometimes because I play guitar and banjo in the band mm-hmm. and I'm constantly picking both up during a show. Occasionally I'll even play claw hammer, you know, or, or like more of a frailing kind of folky tune in the show. And it's hard to play all that stuff at once to flat pick and then grab the picks in my pocket and play something quick, you know. But and, um and be right up to speed. And be uh, up to speed and play in time yeah. and swing and have feel. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's hard. But yeah. I'd be really curious to hear what aspects of your jazz education have transferred over. Are there any is there anything specific that you think you gave you a real advantage in terms of your banjo playing having I don't know. I that's a man. I should um be quicker on that answer because it's in there somewhere. I think my sense of harmony it drives whatever is happening for me on any instrument and i and i just think the reason why it wasn't crazy for me to learn banjo 8 years ago is because i fully understood the theory of everything that was about to happen for me i just needed to figure out the me- the mechanics okay but kind of like you said like there's certain things that just don't even if you know all the theory in the world <laughs> doesn't necessarily help you on banjo to know even just the like that there's like little bends and the, right <laughs> and like attitude stuff that you do um so it's all like that's the genius of earl is that it doesn't all the scruggs licks and solos and arrangements are purely based on melody and beauty and and to me not theory so that's where it was, I kind of I thought I, I thought that maybe my knowledge of jazz would help me in that sense, but actually I don't think it does. I think it's like a whole nother brilliant thing. Perhaps you even catch yourself at times over embellishing, but I, I'm I'm yes. pr- projecting here. I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if that maybe happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I over I overdo a lot of stuff <laughs> <laughs> that I'm guilty of constantly. Um, but no, I, I think. With bluegrass, that you know, the jazz, the harmonies. I think it's the um, the attention to trying to play melody and trying to improvise. I think that was where it all really comes in, and my sense of harmony. I do also like there's um there's some tunes that I haven't really recorded that 
I wouldn't call them jazz tunes, but uh, they're a little bit more of a... Uh, well, I can play a little bit of one. I think I call it the Atlantic Waltz. It's definitely not a jazz tune. I wouldn't call it a jazz tune, but I, it, this might be more of my jazz sensibilities coming in. So on something like that, yeah, yeah. So it's it's definitely not free jazz out no. harmony stuff, but it's not Earl's breakdown either. No, it's somewhere in between. Yeah, I don't know if that it doesn't really ex- answer your question, but that's some. I don't know if that's. Yeah, it's not jazz. It's somewhere in between at all. Well, you said something that um, the the main, if I remember right, what you said are the main things that you got from jazz is your sense of improvisation and harmony mm-hmm. how do you impro or uh, approach rather improvising or what do they teach you in jazz school that might be different than what you would just get from uh, going to bluegrass jams or or taking yeah. banjo lessons it's another great question and you know what's interesting is that on banjo i think i've committed to my studying the banjo so much that I don't improvise the same way. And I'm working on this for myself, just trying to play the same way I would on guitar as I would on banjo. Because hmm. on guitar, everything still feels linear to me and I can access lines in the same way. Okay. But when I'm playing banjo, I am my improvisation is actually accessing a different, like I'll improvise with more, they're like more pick patterns, but over over changes so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like little things that I just, I played the sixth before that everyone does, you know, yeah. because there's just an en- endless kind of supply of improv that you can do over harmony there and play over the bar line and all that stuff. There's also these little like, right. but I'll play a lot of that stuff over, to me it's improvising because it's I'm just kind of accessing, I know I want that sound. So it's actually kind of cool because on banjo you can access these very fast things over a smaller chunk of chord change. And to me, that's still improvisation. I'm not, but it's not as linear as, as it is kind of chordal and melodic in a banjo kind of way. Would it be accurate to say you are thinking more about improvising with your right hand, whereas with guitar, maybe you're thinking more with your left hand? Yes. Okay. I think that is accurate. And I think it's that crossing of um, those different styles because... There are times where I'll play something that is in a closed position and there it seems linear to me where I'm playing just a singular line and then that's that's more of a left-hand thing. And then there are times where exactly like you're saying where it's you know something more along like and that's kind of more of a static shape on the left hand and more of a pattern 
thing on the on the with the right. Does that make sense? Okay. Did I explain that right? I, I think so. Yeah, just just being able to use these shapes as launching points for different things that you can do with your right hand. Yeah, and when you you know that single string thing is more linear to me. That's it makes more sense to just play dagger like lines over that. And I'll try to do both and incorporate both into the. But I'm working on it. It's always a work in progress. Right. Yeah, of course. You know, listen to guys like that I love, like Noam kind of do that very fluidly mm-hmm. in and out of single string lines and his triplet thing. You know, that's that's very that's where I think big magic happens. Cause it it is this combo of patterns and lines and it's all over changes. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. And it's not always clear where one ends and the other begins. Yeah. It yeah. just it just flows. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, for cool. sure. What about harmony? Is there something that you could uh, tell us, maybe even the fo- in the form of like a tip? Like, what's the way to? What is a good way to like jazz up harmony wise, harmonically? Yeah, uh, like a a one four five bluegrass song. What's something that someone could add to their playing that would be from the jazz school? Yeah, without having to pay to go to what's, Rutgers to I, get I the know. information. <laughs> and Rutgers is a state school. Try going to Berkeley. <laughs> But, you know, what's weird is like the jazz answer would be obviously, you know, everything in bluegrass and folk music is triads, you know, it's, it's diatonic, triadic chord motion and everything. So the jazz answer is make everything sevenths and play the major seven, play all the, you know, play the nine, play the 11, dwell on all that stuff. But that's in terms of harmony, that's not even how I particularly think. I just like substituting, I like especially writing songs that don't go where you'd normally. I don't hmm. I don't usually resolve on one, for example. I, I resolve a lot on four. Like we just did um I've endured on our last record. Yeah. It's not a jazz reharm, but I like the little thing that we did. And Brian Sutton plays great guitar on this track on the record. Just a little plug. That helps. Yeah. Yeah. But she did like, born in the mountains many years ago. I climbed these hills and valleys through the rain and snow. I've seen the lightning flashing, heard the thunder roll. And I don't think most versions of I've Endured go to the sixth chord there. And this is very basic stuff harmonically but th- to me i guess with all the stuff that's floating around in my head those are the things that really excite me you know i've endured i've endured how long must one endure oh you know, just yeah. little deceptive cadence things are where i kind of draw from a okay. lot i don't i don't like when i'm listening to something and i know it's going to resolve the same way i like always kind of shifting it up the unpredictability yeah of it. Yeah. yeah cool Hope that answered the question. Yeah. 
folks, we are in a golden age of online instrument instruction. And at the top of that world is Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation has streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele. So you can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots Music. Check out the courses they have, and this is just for banjo. You could get beginning or bluegrass banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wes Corbett. Each of those courses include high-quality video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And the best thing yet is you're going to get your first month free just by being a listener of this show. So go to pegheadnation.com and use promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout and claim your free month of the best instruction out there. And if you find yourself needing a banjo or accessories to get ready for those Peghead Nation courses, I highly recommend you check out Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source of new used and vintage stringed instruments, including banjos, guitars, violins, mandolins, ukuleles, all that stuff. They're going to have the best instruments you can find anywhere. And we're talking everything from the more affordable instruments for people starting out on up through the most highly sought-after vintage instruments. Elderly Instruments has been family-owned since 1972, and if you can't make it to their Lansing, Michigan showroom, you can see their full selection at elderly.com or give them a call at 517-372-7880 for some professional advice on all of your banjo and other stringed instrument needs. And you know what all these stringed instruments have in common? they all sound better with GHS Strings. GHS Strings is another sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, and I'm proud to say they have been made in Battle Creek, Michigan since 1974. And if you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll believe such people as J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, and Bela Fleck, just a few of the many, many users of GHS Strings. So go check them out, ghsstrings.com. They have a wide selection of gauged sets so that no matter what you're looking for, you'll be able to find something there. The main example that I have of your playing is that is the new album, the Song of the Sparrows. Songs for the Sparrows. Songs for the Sparrows. Yeah. Sorry. And that has great banjo playing, but it's not necessarily a banjo feature album. You know, no. it's, it's about the it's about the songs. Especially since I'm playing banjo on half the album and Wes Corbett's playing on the other the other tunes. Right. So right. which is very fun to listen to that, that yeah, guy play. Of course. Yeah. So I I feel like I'm a little in the dark of what all your personal style on the banjo uh, covers yeah what yeah. what what else would you say has been important either learning from tony or just something you've picked well, up on your own i was thinking about it coming in to see you today and um there's some cool stuff on the record that i do feel like i'm happy to write parts and then kind of put them in the back seat a little bit mm-hmm. especially when i've got guys like jerry douglas there yeah. next to me you know my buddy and mentor down in nashville all of our heroes So I wrote a lot of material and and arranged it for knowing that Jerry was going to be there on certain days, knowing that Brian Sutton was going to be there or Sam Bush, you know. Yeah. Like, come on. John Doyle. John Doyle. (laughs) 
Yeah, we didn't. We went all out with like, let's get all my favorite guys in one room. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to um, talk more about that later for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, this is dream come true. But um, the track, the title track, is called a sparrow song. Yeah, and just banjo wise, I'm really proud of this one. I really like the the part. The main part is in seven, and it's something that it's a very kind of um, Appalachian-y banjo style, like kind of a cluck old hen kind of. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's that twisted up. And I think we wanted to put this spin on the idea behind the sparrow song. Like there's all these birds flying around in the sky. And to us on the whole record, we use the sparrow as a totem to represent our ancestors who had fallen in the Holocaust. And and so it's a little bit of a darker song. Um, But the main part goes like this. part is like half seven half drops in seven eight and then drops kind of into four yeah one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven one two three four five six seven one two three four it's hard to play and sing that oh, <laughs> i bet. talk through it but there's a lot of parts and it kind of in the in the bridge of this song also uh breaks into this very hairy kind of zeppelin-esque harmonic breakdown banjo super banjo feature that part goes like this has a cool kind of walk down right thing so i mean that's also i, I hate using the word jazz sometimes because i don't even know what i'm what i'm trying to describe but it's definitely it's not your typical scruggsy thing yeah to me those little descending things are really something i would never come up with on guitar so it's a compositional huh. tool i love the way that seems to to fall and also having three picks in your hand really helps kind of get that ostinato over the bar line floaty and i was looking for as many sparrow like things to give the song buoyancy oh. and, and lift there's also a part in the chorus the chorus i'll play the banjo part it's got some cool kind of backward rolls i'll play a little bit slower The words there are, and so we sing a sparrow song for those who would so they don't belong. A call of love for the days gone wrong. Don't fear, little bird, just fly, fly on. You know, some cool, just yeah, very swirly stuff, and that's. It's just so banjo-y. No, I, I love that you're using this as an example because uh, that's probably my main, one of my main takeaways from that album is just like the really creative arranging. It's well beyond verse, chorus, solo yeah, type thanks. of stuff. They're even just under the singing, there's so much rhythmically that happens that, you know, I, I can recognize that, that that all takes work to to figure that out. It's a subtle thing. Went uh, as a listener, but it does make an impact. Yeah, I, and I I do think I write more banjo parts than I do specifically guitar parts. Hmm. Something about the way rolls you find the right roll with the right set of chords with the right open strings, and it it does fit the arrangement. I mentioned um, you know Jerry Douglas. There was a in the middle of the record. There's a long suite of instrumental music, and there's the piece in the middle is called the Golden Butterfly. Yeah, I told Jerry, I'm like, you're playing the part of the butterfly. And he was like flapping his wings. (laughs) He was like, all right, tell me what to play. Mm -hmm. 
but the the kind of soul of the butterfly is is in this banjo feature, and it's another one of these. I'm playing the same role with my right hand, but it's uh, that's up. Uh, play it a little slower if anyone wants to transcribe it, but and but fast. It's kind of this. Now is that Jerry the part that comes in and that's in four, but it comes in against like a jig time kind of thing, and there's this polyrhythmic. Yeah, is that what I'm? Is that the yes. part that I'm remembering? Yeah. Okay. Jerry yeah, plays really this cool. very fluid, um, long tone kind of melody over that, which makes that part sound even better. Right. Um, but again, that part is not the feature. The feature is the melody. Mm-hmm. But I just, you know, hopefully these are for all you banjo fans. Those are just. Always that I particularly use the banjo in a very cinematic to me. I'm, I feel very visual when I compose this stuff, and the banjo brings out a ton of stuff that I just. It's it's only banjo stuff. I don't know. And I guess also to your point, maybe it's important to underline that those are all worked out parts to to yes. get this feel and this uh, soundscape that you have in your mind. Yeah, those are not improvised. Yeah, there are there's banjo solos on the record, like. Mm-hmm. And I've endured and wanderlust, but those have even over time become more worked out because they're, they're melodic enough that they work as a part. But yeah, that's that's a part. That's a composed section. Right, right. Let's keep talking about these superstars now that you've mentioned that guest on your album and and their contributions are are great. And I can only imagine that b- beyond the the music that they made, I imagine you probably learned a lot just seeing how the the heaviest of heavy hitters just conduct themselves in the studio and I'm I'm really curious to just hear about what you maybe picked up and and how each of them are in, in approaching uh, their job. Oh man, I I just feel like the for my wife and I both we just honestly feel really lucky to get to hang out with these guys because mm-hmm. I. It's not lost on us at all that not everyone gets to hang out with these guys, and um, <laughs> that's why I have to ask because yeah, uh, it hasn't happened for me yet. No, we're luck. We're so lucky, and you know, I think we came into the we, we have this different edge and this different message that we're trying to do above all the, the solos and the picking and the compositions. I think we're trying to put out a different message that I think in the beginning when we first started recording, Sam Bush has been on all of our records. I can't even believe that he's been on all these records. And even in the beginning, I had no business even asking Sam to be on that first record because I didn't, I was like in over my head, I didn't even know it. But he's been a friend to us. He's been a supporter, him and and Jerry, and gotten a chance to, Tony Trishka came to play on our second record. And um, 
Scott Vestal was on the first one. Whoa. Been able to work with some great banjo players because I play guitar. Yeah. So and and of course Wes Corbett was on this last one. Yeah. Um, gotten to play with David Greer, who came to play on the second record, and Brian Sutton. To get to hang with them is is a true gift. The first thing I'll say is that Sam Bush is the funniest, quickest person I've ever met. Wow. And and as kind as you think he would be, if uh-huh. you haven't met Sam. And the same goes for Jerry, actually. And seeing them both together, knowing the history of... I'll also say, for, for me, and we, I was talking about being in college, and I remember being in my um, my apartment with all my buddies at the time, my jazz roommates. And we actually all, at, the, at this point, when I was like a senior in college or something, we all did love, even like the tenor sax players and everything, my, my buddies, we loved bluegrass. And we would all sit there and watch on repeat the bluegrass... Journey documentary uh-huh. of the Gray Fox the Gray Festival. Fox, right. And uh, Tim O'Brien, Daryl Scott, some great moments on there, and like a young Chris Thiele with Jerry Douglas. Yeah. For me, the the records that Sam and Jerry and Bela that they've made, they've, and Alison Krauss and all that stuff, it's beyond for me, and I think for most Bluegrass fans, it's beyond just being a fan. Like, I think they change your life, and you, I start to view the world in a very, in a better way for me, in like a healthier way through bluegrass music it truly is this magical thing so playing with them is not just for me it's not just oh i get to hang with my heroes it is like a very transformative thing to like i've sat and cried listening to jerry douglas you know tribute to peter o'donnell like on some of my darkest days and i've needed their music at times in my life donnie and i both like sam's song um circles around me is is one that that we've both like we we listen to like on our wedding night you know it's there's just like something that when your musical life gets to cross and weave in between your personal life i think that's it's just a thrill yeah i don't know if i'm making sense incredible (laughs) it makes perfect sense yeah Yeah, it's incredible so, so and and they're they're the pros that they are in the studio they're if they didn't know it already coming in takes them Four seconds to get something and they hear stuff immediately and and you're sitting there and all like all of us in the band we're staring there looking at jerry and he's playing jerry douglas stuff it's like there he is there's jerry yeah and it's coming out of the speakers yeah it's coming yeah i hold them in the same regard as you do so yeah it's, it's just great to win and they're just so giving and um actually i didn't experience that in the jazz world when i was when i was in the jazz world and i know that there there are many giving people in that world as well but Part of the whole like going to jazz sessions, which I did for a long time in New York, the cutthroat thing, I was like, this isn't why we play music. This isn't coinciding with my thing at all. And the fact that the best guys in the business would take Donnie and I under their wing and stay in touch with us and become friends is a testament to, I think, the bluegrass world, the whole yeah. world of acoustic music, where everyone's, seen, everyone's there for each other. You know, you go up and say hi after a show and they, they'll hang, they'll right. want to talk and you know, they'll be tired too. They're going to want their own space, but they're they're there for you and they yeah. were there for us. It's really an honor. Yeah, I think the bluegrass community as a as its own entity gets probably mentioned in some form on every episode as, as something that draws people mm-hmm. to the music and, and keeps us here. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. There, there's something very real about that. For sure. Uh, I solicit... Facebook questions for you. And and ah. this one came in from listener Amy. 
and this will maybe be a touch darker, but we can go there. She recently read a write-up about uh, Nefesh Mountain in Rolling Stone, and specifically about how your band is using music to push back against a rising wave of anti-Semitism. And I guess to wit, you know, you have a couple songs on the album. One is dedicated to Anne Frank, another is titled uh, Tree of Life. So those are both just overtly some sort of statement about that. So I, I think she just wants to hear you talk about your views on that and maybe how you specifically think bluegrass music or folk music in general might be a good vehicle with which to make that happen. Totally. It's a great question. I'll, I'll give the little, the little spiel, so to speak, of um, what happened in our lives. In, in 2018, my mother-in-law brought my wife and I and our two kids, Millie and Xander at the time, now we have three, to Eastern Europe. And we went to Poland and Ukraine where our families were from. Mm-hmm. And I'd never been there. It wasn't even on my list of places that I, quite frankly, wanted to go even at the at the time because I've, you know, oh, I want to go to Thailand. I want to go to China and yeah. all this stuff. But like, why not go to your homeland, of course? And it was the most profound trip. I'm so grateful to my my mother-in-law, Barbara, for bringing us. And it was amazing to be in those cities and to see it in the present day and the present state that it's in. But Jewish life in particular has pretty much been done away with, you know. Mm. I think it's kind of, Hitler almost succeeded in that sense. I mean, we've we've all been displaced. Now there's many of us in Israel and many of us, of course, here stateside, but, and in many other countries. But uh, all the cemeteries everywhere, every almost every synagogue, it's all destroyed, it's all rubble, it's all like, and no one there even knows it, you know. Mm. So we were actually in the woods where our ancestors were were shot, uh, you're right, this is getting dark. But it was super heavy. And actually, that's where we first noticed sparrows. We saw it was like a beautiful day in actually what is now present-day Ukraine. Gorgeous mountains and forest. And looked, it looked not unlike parts of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And there's sparrows flying around. And you, I just, something about the birds, we were like, maybe that's the kind of souls of our ancestors that are still flying, That the little voice, the small but mighty voice. Um, anyway, powerful trip. That was August 2018. Then we return home stateside. Now it's October 2018. And then there's, you mentioned Tree of Life, the Tree of Life shooting in Pittsburgh. And that's what that that was then, just two months later. So, and we came home and we're, it was also this, every day on the news you're seeing there's swastikas on synagogues and there's graveyards getting defaced and swastikas popping up there. And this history of, of, for us as Jewish Americans of our own people, so to speak, is a big part of who we are. And we're talking a little bit about this before before we hit record, I think. But um, you know, the the idea of being Jewish is in my lifetime has only been like a, a religious thing. But I'm really interested in with this band, we're really interested in what it might mean to talk about it as being a cultural thing, moreover than than just do we pray on Shabbat or do we celebrate Hanukkah or stuff like that, which is great. And everyone can do their own version of that. But um, when the, what we've realized is the more we lean into this, the more we talk about who we are ourselves, like we are Jewish American. This is, if we took a DNA test, it would tell me you're Jewish American. Um, You are, you know, your ancestors came from Eastern Europe and this is a part of literally how I live and breathe who I am, regardless of religious experience. Mm. And um, anyway, I, I just, we're really interested in that. 
And I think you asked about the Americana world. I think it is poised right now to actually make a big difference, in, you know, in its own way. You have leaders like Rhiannon Giddens, who's totally blazing the, all of the right trails in her own respect. I've heard her speak at like Americana Fest and IBMA conferences. Mm -hmm. And and for her to be uncovering the truth about what is American music, that the first string bands were in fact black, you know, string bands, that's a huge truth that we just didn't know. And I think everyone talking about Americana music is, for me growing up, it was almost synonymous at times with gospel. And as a Jewish kid from Brooklyn- Christian gospel. Christian yeah. gospel. So I'm like, maybe I don't, do I not belong playing this music? And should I, should I not? Or should, or should I, if I do it, do I have to never talk about being Jewish? Or should mm -hmm. I never, you know? And I, I think we're just choosing to really lean into it. Maybe it's the troublemaker in us that we're trying to be like, no, we're we're Jewish, and we're, we're, maybe we'll sing a little bit in Hebrew, and yeah. let's see how that goes. How's it going? Is it going to fly? Are people going to push back? And some have, and some haven't. And um, I think the conversation is is igniting actually a lot of hope and a lot of powerful feelings in people. That's not just um, it's not just about us being Jewish. It's about them being you know accepting of it, or yeah, I don't know. It's a whole. It's deep. <laughs> it's deeper stuff. But we're we're proud of this this thing, and actually, we're, it just so happens we just found out, but we're playing at the Opry. We're playing the Grand Ole Opry next oh, next week. Thanks. Okay, this that will have have long happened by the time this yes. com, comes out. But that's great news. That's, yeah, that's wonderful. thanks, man. So I mean, did you say next week? Next week? Oh, actually, a week from is today Tuesday. Today yeah, is Tuesday. Tuesday. Next week, and, and then we just found this out. We just found out a week ago. Wow, that's yeah. some short. Yeah. Notice, but I guess you try to make that happen when you when you get that. We were going to be in Nashville for a city winery show, and okay. we had a day off before, and we just squeezed it in. Okay, you know we're really proud of that. All this um, is to say that uh, we're trying to live our truth here, and a lot of my particular truth is musical, is technical, is compositional. Everything I've been talking about with the banjo and all that. But I think I wish my wife was here too because she brings this very visceral kind of human element to mm. it that is. Let's make music about something and let's try to say something, especially in this climate today with politics that are haywire and and viruses that are, uh, you know, forming new strains every day. And it's just, we live in scary times and we always have really, but I, I'm glad that at least we're trying to talk about some of the stuff that we're wrestling with as as Jewish Americans. Yeah. It, so, it sounds like just the act of shining some light on this uh, darker underbelly might yeah. might be its own form of progress. And the fact that maybe you have received some negative reaction, I guess means that your message is being received, e even if it's in a negative way by some. But yeah. it means that yeah. for, for other people, it's, uh, it's getting through. Yeah, and it's honestly, it's scary for me. I'll admit at times, I think, was it Amy who wrote the question? Uh, maybe Amy, on, yeah. On Facebook, right. But, you know, when an article comes out and it's something like Rolling Stone or American Songwriter, I'm thrilled to see it. I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. And then I get a little scared. I'm like, now I'm on Rolling Stone talking about anti-Semitism. You know, it's a lot safer to just not say you're Jewish yeah. and just kind of- Play your banjo. Play my banjo. Speaking of which though, this is a banjo podcast. And I, I will say that the Jewish community has not had really a banjo representative. And I don't know that I'm exactly that person, but kind of by default now I've become more of that. Uh -huh. And I'm I'm really happy to bring in some of these sounds 
to the banjo and as a kind of it representing the darkness and the the pain of american history i think it is it's the perfect instrument i think for some of the music that we that we do make <laughs> yeah. which is why you know sparrow song to me is not just about anti-semitism it's you know everything we've been going through after in the last couple of years and of course in our whole history as, as americans but um you know the banjo as we all know now is a very it was minstrel, you know, it was used in minstrel shows, blackface. It has an uncomfortable But it endures and, up, and we love it. With it. Yeah. And now we, now maybe we can use it for, for good, just like Pete Seeger and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. So I, I do feel like there's a, even besides for any technical stuff on the banjo, there's just something about holding it that represents Americana and pain and joy and, and love. And the fact that I get to play it is, is uh, really an honor, I think. Going back to your fear about being in, in Rolling Stone on record with, uh, you know, just some of some of these ideas that you have, did that come to materialize in any way? Like, were your fears founded or no? Okay, thank God. Good. I mean, you know, but yeah, um, I'm really glad. To hear. Yeah, no, we're you know, there's no like threats or anything. Thank okay, God, you know, but it just makes me. I grew up. You know, I had a bar mitzvah, but I'm personally not. I didn't. This is, it is uncomfortable even for me to talk about Judaism so openly because I didn't grow up talking about it that much. My grandparents, who were very Jewish, who kept kosher, they didn't talk about it. They didn't talk about their ancestors. They didn't talk about where we came from in Eastern Europe. If I asked them, they were just like, "Oh, we came from Austria. That's enough. That's we hmm. don't." Because you know, af after the Holocaust, I don't know if anyone knew how to talk about it. Honestly, at least in the circles that I knew. So I think Judaism just remained in, in little hubs in synagogues all over the world. And now we're, we're kind of taking it out of the synagogue and onto like, like we're playing the Ark tonight. You know, we're going to talk about this stuff a little bit on stage. Yeah. And, um, and hopefully just, I would say that despite my fears, we played right before COVID last in 2020, we played Wintergrass up in Seattle. Uh -huh. And the amount of people that came up and had all these stories, tears in their eyes. And they're like, I'm half Jewish. And I don't even say this very much, but like my mother was Jewish and, and I did have a bat mitzvah, but I didn't know how to, what to do with it. And now I have, you know, this whole new thing. And thank you for playing this music. Or somebody's like, I'm now marrying a Jewish person. Now I can identify with them. And there's yeah. all different ways that this music has touched people. Uh -huh. And that, that is like, that's all the positive stuff. That's all we need, you know, to kind of keep going on sometimes good well i'm i'm happy that you were able to wrap up the the dark topic on a <laughs> on a hopeful positive positive note i don't that, always that get is there great. <laughs> yeah no thank you let's talk about your your instrument here tell us about your your banjo and the pieces and the parts and all, all the gear talk let's let's dive into that oh there's nothing better there's no better remedy for dark conversation than gear <laughs> like if I, i'm feeling you know just go to reverb and check out mics it's or my something. standby yeah yeah well i'm really lucky to to be friends and to be sponsored by the folks at deering Ever since I, the, we talked about the Flectones, I saw him, Bela, playing the Crossfire and uh -huh. all the pictures and like Deering banjos. That was like my, as a kid, I was like, that's the coolest yeah. thing. And now, you know, Jamie Deering is a dear friend and and other Jamie Laddie at Deering. So right. this is a Tenbrook Saratoga Star. Um, I actually played it at an IBMA and bought it there. Hmm. 
And they, they kind of held it for me and then shipped it like a right month later. Right from the Deering booth there? Right from the Deering booth. This cool. was the one that was there. I, I also have like a one of their kind of wood arm armrests here on the banjo, which is way more comfortable. These are Diodario strings. There's nothing too crazy going on. I have the Keith tuners on here. The head is tuned down to an F. Sometimes it's even an E. I was going to ask about that. It has a very mellow sound. Yeah, it's re- super mellow. I and drive sound guys crazy because they, <laughs> they want it to like spank and get that Scruggsy thing. But um, now is part of that the bridge too? Uh, is that I can't tell what kind of bridge that is. But it I looks... actually forget the name of this bridge. It is not a Deering bridge. It's um a darker like mahogany I think bridge, and it's right. It's really mellow. So I think that further contributes to the between that and the head tension or lack of tension. Lack of tension. Yeah. It has been as low as E before. That's incredible. Is, yeah. F, I think. Yeah, it's about an F. Um, we don't play that many song, banjo songs in F, so it seems to work out. But it's very mellow. Actually, I, I got to hang with Jens Kruger um, also just right before COVID. And, um, and he played, this is, oh, it, it, this is his tone ring too. This is with the, the Jens Kruger tone ring, okay. not the 06 or 010 or. There's one called the 06, but I don't know which is which. And I don't there's an O's, yeah, that 06 one, they do make this model with that. That's okay. a little bit more kind of standard bluegrassy sound. Mm-hmm. But I like that Jens, the whole story of this tone ring apparently was made by a company who pours bells in Europe right. for churches. Uh-huh. So it's literally like a church bell, you know, that could be a thousand years old inside the banjo. Yeah. It's very ringy, very chimey, mm-hmm. and it's also very mellow. And I think I really like, um, I like that softer sound. For a Might lot be of your what jazz I, ear coming back through. It's that like Matheny, all the trebles rolled mm-hmm. off and everything's super, you know, I try to play as much down by the bridge as possible. But when, when we're really playing bluegrass, I, I, I'm i sorry, not by the down bridge, by the, by the neck. neck. Yeah. yeah. But, but if I play the same banjo... It still kind of has a spank. Probably distorting the speakers at that point. Yeah, right. I see you have a let's let's go through like your performance gear. I see you have a pickup on there. Take us through pickup or microphones or I don't know if you you have like stage pedal boxes or anything like that. Um, I play through a Felix. I have a pickup on here. It's a realist, and I know I don't use it. I actually keep it on because I like the way it's. I like the tone of it sitting on the bridge, muting a little bit. Wow! Um, I and installed it's a realist. It. I'm familiar with realist bass pickups. I've never heard of a realist banjo pickup. They have it. It sounds great. I didn't realize that. I, I didn't put it on to not use it. I put it on to use it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But over the years, I I play it. It's in my bag. It's the uh, Audio Technica kind of gooseneck. Mm-hmm. mic that comes around. I forget what number it is. is that the Pro 35? Yes. Okay. I think that's it. And uh, I used to have a DPA, mm-hmm. but that, that actually was too much. It was like too detailed. 
for the banjo. And I think the AT kind of live, it seems to kind of have its own sort of compression and get it to really come through the mix a little bit more. Huh. So actually our fiddle player is using my DPA on his fiddle okay. right now, which sounds great on his fiddle. So you're just using a mic. There's I just no, use the mic. No hiccup, and that's going through the Felix. That goes through the and Felix. And that's it. And that's it. Groovy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I used to put the realist and the mic through and give them a blend. Yeah. But we're not playing it like crazy high volumes right now. So it's not like I need it blasting back in through the monitors mm-hmm. and it's um that mic sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Is yeah. there anything else I forgot to ask that you want to say about the band or your playing? Anything like that? I don't know. I feel I mean, I will say pick-wise. Oh yeah. I yeah, have picks, um of course. I have a, uh, what is this? The blue chip, one of the, the JD, I guess, mm-hmm. the JD Crow um, thumb pick. Once I played this again at an IBMA, uh, I haven't turned back. I know some people, you know, love them and hate them. But I particularly, I just think that, again, that bassy sound, I don't get a better fourth string tone, I think, with another thumb pick. So I really dig that. And they're pro, these are pro pick angled finger picks on my index and middle yeah which Um, are also apparently made by deering these days yeah yeah one thing that occurred to me is that for for as much as we've talked about this jewish influence in the music listening to your album it's not like it's uh clarinets and klezmer music happening and it's like (laughs) not not really much of that there's might be a few hints but uh, yeah have have you Dove, uh, dived, Dovin. I don't know why my brain is uh, doing. I this do the to same me. thing with that word. Really, <laughs> do. I like Dovin. It's, it can't be Dovin, but I like Dovin. <laughs> Have you delved much into actually figuring out uh, Jewish music on the banjo, and, and is there any of that that you've explored? A little bit, a little bit. It actually sounds beautiful. There's something I did, and I'm I I haven't played it in quite a while, so I'm not going to do it now. But mm-hmm. on on the YouTubes somewhere, there's me doing a little kind of solo thing of a nigun by, it's called like Beragovsky's Nigun number 75 or something. And it's, a nigun is a wordless melody. Mm-hmm. And in the Jewish world, Eastern European Jewish world, it, it's very much, um, it's just a chance to engage in singing. Okay. And I did play that. I'm forgetting how it goes. Even in my head, I can't picture it. I will say... So it's a wordless melody, but it's still meant to be a vocal melody. It's meant to it's be... just a, syllables yes. or oohs or ahs or... Yeah. La-las. It's meant to be a vocal melody, but a lot of people play them on violin. Okay. And I think that's the... One of the cool things that I would like to get into more is obviously the violin tradition, people coming from the Scots-Irish world or the Scandinavian world, there is certainly a huge Jewish, not, not even necessarily klezmer, but Eastern European world of fiddle music that I would like to adapt to the banjo. That mm-hmm. at some point will will happen. But we've actually Very purposefully cool. made a choice to play American style kind of Appalachian and, yeah. and music with the themes of, of um, whatever we're talking about with the Jewish culture and everything. Right. I will say this though, you'll see it tonight if you come to the show. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, man. I've been closing, almost closing the show with a solo banjo medley of Hanukkah songs. Oh, yeah, cool. One of them I can give you a taste of. Yeah, please. Like, so for Hanukkah that we play, we all, everyone sings Mautzor, which is like Rock of Ages melody. And it's also, um, uh, we I do Hanukkah, oh Hanukkah, and I do dre- dreidel, dreidel, uh-huh. which dreidel, dreidel is like, I'm not really a fan of dreidel, dreidel. <laughs> As a kid, you know, it's a good kid song. But um, 
You feel like I it's, tried to, it's uh, like playing dueling banjos or something? Yes. Okay. It's like that. But um, I'll, pl- I'll give you a taste of, uh, of this. I, I like this arrangement. It goes like this. And so on. Yeah. Very cool. That's, and that's your arrangement, can, I assume? It's my arrangement, yeah. yeah we can cool. cut that. Should I play a shorter version? Is that too much? No. Okay. It's a podcast. It can be however long I want it to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, leave us with uh, internet links. How do, how do people find you and Nefesh Mountain and all, all of your music and tour dates? Sure. It's nefeshmountain.com. Mm-hmm. Nefesh means soul in Hebrew. It's okay. N-E-F-E-S-H mountain.com all our albums are there um spotify and all the things that we have to do now uh tour dates are all online and um i'm not sure when this will air but we have a runs coming up in uh in january on the west coast we're going to be at wintergrass again in february we're excited to be out there and again with our baby who is our little dream come true right uh she's on the road with us with our tour nanny um it's yeah we're we're doing it excellent Wow, yeah, that's that's bravery right there. Uh, of, of all the things to be to be worried about, Rolling Stone, you're 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 braving it all, taking a baby on the road. That's I know, right? <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, folks. You heard some sound clips in this episode. In order, they were "Wanderlust" by Nefesh Mountain, "Spanish Point" by Bela Fleck. I've Endured, and then Sweet for a Golden Butterfly, both by Nefesh Mountain, and then Tribute to Peter O'Connell by Jerry Douglas. Special thanks once again to Jane Lute, today's Patreon supporter of the show, a Hall of Honor inductee. Head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself, 
or just get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Hope you're all having a great start to your spring, and I will see you all next time. <laughs>